Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. And I have to say, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, that me, Kevin Day, is slightly jealous of Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire because you're going somewhere nice tomorrow, aren't you? Uh, yes, I'm, uh, I- I've been asked to attend the, the World Football Summit in Ooh. Seville. Um, for a few days, which is which is absolutely fantastic, um, and, and that coincides with the uh, Rangers versus uh, Eintracht Frankfurt mm. Europa uh, League final. And, and when I when I was offered the uh, the opportunity to go there, I I, I, I applied to UEFA in the ballot to see a ticket because at, at that time we didn't know who was going to be in the final. Um, so I've got a tier one ticket, which is you know, right on the halfway line, I think. Wow. So I'm, yeah, it, it, it should it should be it should be a hoot. Um, and uh, so long. Uh, and if anybody asks my name there, my name's Billy McPherson. <laughs> Shame on you, Kieran, of your <laughs> Irish. It's it's questions day, Kieran. Um, and the first question comes from me, and it is: Why is things like the World Football Summit always held in beautiful places like Seville? So yeah, I know bit, because yes. the last one I went to was Madrid. Yeah, yeah. They're, they are fantastic. Yeah, there, there, are, there are hotels and conference facilities in Croydon, you know, Kieran, <laughs> and it is in the world. <laughs> uh, we have some very good questions today, um, some of which are the final questions that we didn't get round to asking at the live show in Accrington. Um, and the first question, though, comes from Tom Hayward. Uh, and Tom says, fan-made football kit concepts found all over Twitter around annual official kit release dates and all over bits of paper around my living room are arguably better than the real thing. Mine are definitely better than the real thing. Modern kit designers, notably Puma, are pumping out the same kit designs for different teams. And I often wonder why this is. And do they still spend a lot of money to have these generic kits designed? Surely they could round up the best fan concept each year and conduct an online poll to ascertain a winner. That would be very democratic, Tom, wouldn't it? It would be favoured by fans and would save a lot of money and companies such as Nike spend on kit designers. Are generic kit designs some kind of marketing ploy? Kits are something, Kieran Nutt, uh, most football fans, including us, are obsessed with. So we, we, I would say... 20% of our questions since the pod started have been about kits. Yes, yes. And and again, thank you to uh, to the people that gave us some kits last week. I, I, I have worn my Berwick Rangers kit uh, already and, and, and uh, I, was, I was just made up. It, it sort of, when, when you put on a football kit for the first time, you, it, it does transport you to, a, to another land as far as I'm concerned. Well, it, 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 it does, Kieran, and it's a lovely, it's a lovely black and amber striped kit, but I... I always get slightly worried about wearing another team's kit because I just know that if I step outside, some Palace fan that I'm aware of will drive past in a car <laughs> and it'll be all over Twitter that I've been wearing a Berry Rangers kit. <laughs> As indeed, uh, uh, a very good friend of mine called uh, Neil the Fish. Let's not go into why he's called Neil the Fish. Uh, no, 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 let's. <laughs> but, uh, several seasons ago, uh, as, as the result of losing a bet... Uh, for charity, he he was required to wear a Brighton shirt to our last game of the season against Fulham, <laughs> uh, and he, he, he's, he, he can be an angry man. He's, he's delightful; we all love him to bits. But he, he's, he's, he can be 
and he, he had it on for about 15 seconds before getting really, really angry. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm slightly, I love football kits, but I'm always slightly wary of wearing another team's one. But anyway, to Tom's question. Uh, Tom's question. Um, from, from a manufacturing point of view, there are um, three elements to, to producing any product. Yeah, it could be a football kit, could be a car, could be a microphone, could be a watch, doesn't matter what it is. Um, you look at materials, labour, and, and overheads cost. And when it comes to to football kits, the the manufacturers are are looking at production runs. So, yeah, we all know that the kits are, are, are yeah they're manufactured mainly in Asia, and what they want to do is to minimise the costs during that that production run. So, if all you have to do is to change the colourways of the yarns, it's a lot easier than having to go and put in a completely new. Um, design and, and you know take that off take it take that off the, the plant and machinery and, and and then put on something else so it, it works out cheaper from a production run uh, perspective as far as the clubs are concerned um i i agree entirely i i, I look at those uh at those kits that are that are all over social media i go i go god they're absolutely fantastic um but uh the the next year's kit normally is designed about eight or nine months before the start of the season. So there is a very, very long lead time. We've already seen some of the kits come out for next season. You know, Liverpool have announced theirs. Um, we've seen this uh, this new Newcastle United away mm. kit, which which appears to resemble the Saudi Arabian national shirt, which which I think is, is not going to go down necessarily well with some of the critics. So from the manufacturer's point of view, um, there are some clubs uh, yeah, who who are supplied by the likes of Adidas, Nike, and, and Puma, and so on, who probably don't justify, from a cost point of view, um, having a a wholly specifically designed kit for them because they might be selling two thousand of those shirts. So, so therefore, they say for. 22-23, this is our generic design, and we and they'll call it you know the vapor or the flyway or whatever it's going to be. And what we're going to do is we'll stick your badge on and your sponsor name, and 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 that's what you get. Simply because if you are South End, if you are uh, you know Mansfield, you are not selling enough units mm. to to have a, a, a bespoke piece of of merchandise. Um, from from the manufacturer's point of view, and remember, the clubs want to to make money as well. So so um, we we effectively go back to the, the, the sort of the position of of Henry Ford and the Model T Ford of the, on the Model T. Uh, yeah, you you can have you can have this in every color provided it's black. Well, you know, Nike or Adidas will say you can have any kit you want provided it's our generic design. If you want something more bespoke. It's going to cost you a lot more money, and fans are going to be up in arms. Um, when it comes to the big kits, um, because Manchester United sell so many units, then Adidas are quite happy to give them a specific bespoke design for the home kit, the away kit, the third kit, and so on. Um, so so that, that's where we are. It, it, it simply comes down to, to a cost issue. Um, it, it, it's cheaper to, to do the generic kits. Um it it would be great. I mean, if anybody who's working for a 
uh, a kit manufacturer wants to get in contact with us and, and come on the show, we, we we would love to have you on because we are fans of football kits. But to actually talk us through the process, you know, I've, I've spoken to one or two people. Um, so if, if anybody from, from those companies wants to come along, you know, just, just, just drop us a line. Uh, drop us a line, uh, just uh, Kieran at priceoffootball.com and we'll gladly get you on the show to, to, te- to teach us uh, a bit more. Kieran, it, it, it's, it's normally me that has the problems with short-term memory, but not four weeks ago, we had a Zoom meeting with some kit manufacturers, remember? Oh, we did. Perhaps we, <laughs> perhaps we could ask them, yes. <laughs> the ones we already know. <laughs> they, seem, they seem like nice people. <laughs> yes. I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing we do have to put a stop to in terms of kits. This It's getting worse every year. The, the kit announcement is is it's the new player announcement, isn't it? It's, it's getting, it's like a bloody baby gender reveal now. It's everyone's getting really (laughs) excited about, it's like, it's going to be red. It's Liverpool. We know that. Stop stop making such a fuss. There's only so much dry ice to go around in the world. Um, Our next question comes from Benjamin Toast, who's been a loyal listener since the very start of the pod. Um, uh, And has asked many questions. So many, in fact, that I've run out of jokes about his name. (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's delighted about uh, but Benjamin Toast says, if I picked up a club for a pound and wanted to wipe the debt out without paying, would putting it into administration and then buying it again for a song do the trick? Or is liquidation the only way to get rid of the debt fully? I don't mind the points deduction that comes with administration, says Benjamin, and I've got the pound. Um, yeah, th- this is um, an interesting one. If If he did that... Um, if he puts the club into administration, then the administrators have a legal obligation to do what is best for the creditors of the club. Yeah. Um, now, you can have what is known as a prepack, where you effectively put a company into administration and you've already had a, a nudge, nudge, wink, wink uh, arrangement with the administrators that you're going to buy it back at an agreed fee. Um, I'm not saying that the administrators or you are necessarily wrongers. But um, it, it 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 doesn't doesn't generate universal approval. I'll say no more than that. Um, so under those circumstances, when you buy the club back from the administrators, you are buying only the assets and none of the liabilities. So that would mean that in going into administration, you would have an immediate twelve point deduction, um, and coming out of administration, you would have a further fifteen point deduction unless you pay 25% of what is owed to the unsecured creditors immediately or commit yourself to paying 35% over three years. So if you're not going to commit yourself to that, um, then uh, potentially that, that would be okay. However, this is where the EFL, the Premier League, uh, and or the, the independent regulator, should, should one be created, this is where they would scrutinise the deal and you know they might say, well, this is this is stiffing the the unsecured creditors, and we are therefore not sure that uh, you you would satisfy the owners and directors test. Um, I, I, yeah, the danger is, of course, you say, well, I've, I've got I've got the money to do it because hey, I'm not paying the creditors, so therefore yeah. I, I can evidence the money. And, and this is where you know, either we need a beefed up owners and directors test, or we need the independent regulator who can who can act on behalf for the benefit of, of all stakeholders, including uh, you know, fans. Uh, yeah, very much it was the fan led review, but also unsecured creditors, because you know we've, we've mentioned it on on more than one occasion. Um, football clubs tend to get quite good credit from local suppliers yeah. because often 
that you know the person that's running that business will happen to be a fan of the club of the town or city uh, in which we're involved and they say well under normal circumstances I'd be pushing you for the money a little bit earlier, but hey, you know, I've supported the club since I was seven, or you know, my my nan or my dad or you know, my brother's a huge fan, and therefore I'll, I'll give you a bit more slack. And they end up getting um, they end up getting into a worse position mm. and losing more money. Uh, two things, Kieran. <clears throat> is this something that's standard practice in other businesses? And was the reason that points deductions were introduced in the first place because it was happening in football? Um, yes, uh, pre packs have existed. Um, again, you you are subject to scrutiny. Um, you you could be uh, as the administrator, uh, you you could be subject to a, a complaint to your professional organisation, and therefore uh, you, you run the risk of professional sanctions. So so it does happen in other industries as well. Um, with regards to the the points penalties. If, if you go back to the, the early 2000s, we went through a period of um, rapid and frequent uh, insolvencies involving football clubs. Uh, the, the collapse of ITV Digital didn't help, yeah. um, but also um, owners gaming the system didn't help either. You know, they realized that they, they could sell the club, buy it back, and uh, all of the unsecured creditors had to effectively sing. Um, and 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 there there was a view that clubs would wait until quite you know quite long into the season, yeah. make sure that they weren't going to go down, or they'd work out you know this that and the other, and they and they put the club into administration. There was there was one club famously, and and the rules have been the rules have been finessed over a period of time, and, and rightly so. There there was one club that uh, that was relegated. Um, with I think two matches to go, and therefore it put itself into administration and said, "Right, we'll, we'll take we'll take that twelve point penalty uh, yeah. now." Yeah. Um, so, so you know, the the rules have become a little bit better, which is why we one of the reasons why we are seeing less uh, less clubs going into administration. And remember also that um, if you want to pass the owners and directors test, if you've been involved in a football club which has had two or more administrations, then that would make it very difficult for you to to be an owner again. Mm. <clears throat> We've got a couple of questions uh, left over from the live show. Uh, in Accrington, Kieran, and leftover implies that we uh, didn't want to ask them. That's simply not the case. We didn't. We ran out of time, unfortunately. Um, the first one comes from Chris, uh, and Chris says, "How do clubs organise travel costs? Is there a central system that clubs pay into, or are they phoning the local B and B? Also, how do costs differ between leagues?" Um, right, it, it, it does very much differ depending upon uh, which club you are. So. Um, uh, I, I've I've got family who are uh, the travel managers or the travel manager for a uh, a very high profile club, indeed, uh, very well known club, indeed. Um, and um, the job the job is full time because what what do you have to do, especially if that club is involved in pre season tours or playing in Europe, you are doing constant reconnaissance. What you don't want to do is to end up in a hotel which is. Um, Morning, morning, Finley. <laughs> what, what, what you don't want to do is is to end up in a hotel 
which uh, you know the facilities are poor. Um, it, it's in a noisy area of town. It's it's actually difficult to 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 gain access to the stadium. You know, you, you don't want to be stuck in traffic. So so what will happen is 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 the travel manager will will do a reconnaissance, um, especially for for the overseas trips, um, to make sure that uh, you know, the, the standards to which the players are expecting will be met. Um, they'll agree a fee um, with, uh, with, with the hotel. Now, if you are a club in the lower leagues, the chances are that you're not going to be, your, your, your travel plans are going to involve either coaches or trains. Um, and, and then it, it's, it's all about striking up a relationship with the, with the local travel company. So, so there's, there's no central fund um, as such. Um, you know, some some clubs expect five star treatment. Uh, some clubs, when they are traveling abroad, um, will uh, will 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 have sort of you know, a charter a flight themselves, especially if it's if, if it's a big trip. Um, um, you know, I'm, I'm aware of uh, you know, I think I'm telling tales out of school here, uh, but when, uh, when when Manchester United, well, this was quite a few years ago. Um, they went on tour to to the states, and they just signed uh, two Brazilian players. Uh, I think Anderson was one, and uh, there were two Brazilian players. And of course, they, the two lads uh, didn't speak any English. Um, so Sir Alex Ferguson went to Cristiano Ronaldo and says, "You know, Cristiano, uh, you know, we, we'd like you to. Could you, you know, could you just sort of help to introduce them to the club and have a chat with them? You know, it's it's a it's an eight hour flight. We, we, we're doing this. We're doing this trip to the states for pre season. Um, and I think, yeah, I think Nanny was the other. Uh, and the problem was that they they were on a they were on a seven four seven, and there were only so many." Um, only so, so many first class seats, and uh, the rest of the players had to slum it in business class. Uh-huh. And, and and Cristiano Ronaldo said, "I'm Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm a superstar. They're 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 in business. I'm not, I'm not prepared to go down and slum it." Um, so so yeah, that, that, there is very much a pecking order mm. when it comes to to footballers uh, in in terms of the expectations they have in, in terms of these things and um it, it's it, it's a it's a tough gig because footballers aren't i think it's fair to say they're not the most organized of people so you know you hear tales of players turning up without passports or you know they're, they're not and then when it comes to vaccines recently and and so on uh, or they they've forgotten to bring things with them so so the the job of the, the, the these transport managers um you know, and then I've got to know a few uh, over the years is uh, is is a twenty four seven one uh, because even when they're in the hotel, the the manager will get a phone call from the player to say, um, I, I know one one very high profile player that that wanted a pair of shoes, uh, and he was such a high profile player that he had to affect the the manager, the travel manager had to order, organize security for the player because he wanted to go to the local market to buy a pair of shoes. It, it, it's it's complete lunacy. As, as you would expect. Yeah, I remember talking to uh, somebody at a Premier League club whose job it was to look after players on away games. And I said, how is it? He said, it's like keeping kittens in a basket. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and if anybody listening to this uh, has ever had any doubts about the integrity of Kieran Maguire, I would like to point out that when he first told me that one of his family members 
was the travel manager for a high-profile club. I said, oh, my God, he must know some gossip. And Kieran said, yes, yes, he does. And I looked at Kieran expectantly, and Kieran said, well, I can't share it with you because that would put his job in jeopardy. It's like, okay, well, that's absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, but but one, also, yeah, we, we all know what goes on tour stays on tour. Those were the days, Kieran. Those were the days. <laughs> Nowadays, what goes on tour, I have to phone Ali up and ask her how to get out of it. Basically. <laughs> uh, Steve Rawlingson was also at the live show in Accrington. And his question uh, is a sort of existential one. But Steve said, how do you think the football industry will develop in the coming years if the fan-led review is adopted in full, as aspects of it seem to be at odds with the changes being made by UEFA? Yes, I, I think um, if, if it is adopted in full and we we address financial issues, owners and directors issues, uh, we have a regulator, the idea of shadow boards, golden shares, uh, increased emphasis on the women's game and, and player welfare. If these are introduced, um, I, I, I think the main issue in terms of UEFA is, is that UEFA um, wants to represent the best interests of of club owners to a large extent and the the changes by the fan-led review will make the the importance of football fans as stakeholders in the game um, more of a central point so I think there could be there could be some conflict but ultimately I think if the industry does get its house slightly more in order and, and, we're, and we're not talking about you know, you know nobody wants nationalization of the game or, or or you know government interference micromanaging football as as are some of the claims which are coming out by by lobbyists who, who mm. seem to you know, seem to you know I've, I've seen this lobby company they they've never been involved in football before why why have they suddenly started caring about our national game I, w- I wonder who's paying them mm. um but um, I, th- I think it's just a ter- case of of turning the dial down a wee bit, and there's no reason why why all the parties can't can't get on uh, both domestically and UEFA. Um, I-, I-, I want English football to to be a success. Yeah, and I think you do as well because course, yeah. our clubs benefit, the the bigger clubs benefit, um, and uh, you know the the, the 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 intimation that's coming out that uh, if the fan led review. Uh, a pr- uh, proposals are adopted, then English clubs will struggle in uh, in Europe. That, that there's no evidence to back that up because the financial advantage that they already have, uh, you know, would, would preclude that. So I, I think I think as far as Steve is concerned, the two parties can can probably coexist uh, with uh, with a regulator um with uh, with greater emphasis on on the input of of football fans um while still a- ensuring that we we can compete in Europe um and when with our European colleagues yeah, we've had occasion this season particularly Kieran to take issue with Chris Sutton uh on his phone in show on five live about several things but his um campaign for improved player welfare is exemplary especially yes. when it comes to head injuries concussion uh illness etc um although he's also now obsessed with bee welfare as well which is interesting somebody mentioned artificial grass two weeks ago and he just went oh, yeah. on about and then he's <laughs> yes. quite right about the bees I, I care a little bit more about the players than the bees but i before i get angry tweets i care a lot about the bees i fully understand their importance in the ecosystem of the world. I wasn't expecting to have to apologise. <laughs> on the pod this morning. Um, our next question from the live show at Accrington comes from 
Michael, who's a Burnley fan, um, and one of my <laughs> abiding memories of the other night, there's a lot of Burnley fans here, uh, and Andy Holt taking issue with two of them, asking them why they weren't Accrington fans. Uh, <laughs> and they did that panicky thing of going, well, well no, we, 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 we go to a lot of Accrington games if, if Burnley are away. <laughs> he didn't say that. And then one of them said, hang on a second, I'm from Burnley. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but Michael's question is a very interesting one because uh, we have spoken quite a lot about Burnley and the way they've changed in the past season. And I know a couple of Burnley fans were talking to you individually afterwards about their concerns. Um, and Michael says, Burnley paid small shareholders in cash and vouchers. I have 21 shares, which would be £17,850 worth of club shop vouchers. Is this a way of ensuring they do not have to buy out all the minority shares and is it ethical not to offer us cash like they paid the larger shareholders? It's a very uh, interesting one, Kieran. I mean, it, to, to me, a non-expert, that slightly smells of shenanigans. Um, yes, yeah. It, it, I don't think it paints Burnley in a particularly great... No, no, no let, let's, I'll, I'll roll back on it. It doesn't present ALK, who are the Burnley owners. Yes. And, and, yes. Yeah, I, I, I mustn't fall into the trap of saying the football club is the owners. Yes. Vice versa. Yeah. Um, in terms of of where we stand here, um, th- there is such there is such a thing, uh, and, I'm, and I'm indebted to to our good friend Stuart Hatcher, uh, one of our our regular listeners, who's mm. also a lawyer. He, he pointed me in the direction of, and can you imagine this at seven thirty on a Saturday morning? I'm looking at section seven, no, section nine seven nine of the Companies Act two thousand and six with with squeeze out uh, legislation, and I and, and oh. yeah. It, we, we've ordered a squeeze out uh, in at seven thirty in the morning, but but, but not involving the Companies Act two thousand and six. I was so hoping you wouldn't going to say it. Uh, uh, yes, all right. <laughs> yeah, here are middle aged men. <laughs> yes, but we've got the minds. We've got that's the minds true. of twelve year olds. Yeah, we have. That's why we look so young. <laughs> um, and and under this, uh, if. Uh, if you acquire normally, I think it's ninety percent. Sometimes it's ninety-five percent of the shares of a company. Um, then you can you can some, you, you do have the option of forcing out other shareholders to to buy uh, the shares. And, and under those circumstances, you, you've got to offer uh, you've got to offer the same price as, as was offered to to the the shares when you made the takeover. But Burnley's owners don't appear to have gone down this route, and you know, and if, if, I've, if I've misinterpreted this, you know, by all means get in contact, and we, we will correct ourselves. Um, what Burnley's offer, uh, Burnley's uh, owners have said, um, we will we will offer to buy the shares from you, and I think six percent of of Burnley's shares um, are owned by minority shareholders. Um, but but you don't have to take the offer. We're not forcing you to buy it. So they're not they're not actually using a, a proper squeeze out as such. Um, and, and this is where I, I think some people are feeling slightly uh, slightly unhappy because what they've said is that we will give you a fifty fifty split uh, in terms of cash and and vouchers. Um, yeah, and if I own, if, if you take a look at this, you know, you know for in, in terms of what Michael said that. Uh, you know, the, the price of an individual share is is quite expensive. Hmm. So therefore, you know, seventeen thousand eight hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, we 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 like club tat, um, but yeah, that that's an awful lot of of Ashley Barnes duvet covers, to put it mildly. 
um, fr- from the club shop. So you, you can understand why some shareholders uh, might feel aggrieved, um, but I, I don't think that they they can get around this because the uh, the majority shareholders are not obliged to buy them out, and they are saying this is what we consider to be a fair offer. It's the same as we've effectively paid for our shares, but in terms of the way that we're offering the offer uh, by splitting it between cash and vouchers does seem harsh. I, th- I think Burnley's Supporters Association, uh, yeah, they've said they don't want to sell their shares on principle because they still want to have a voice at the club's AGM. Uh, but if, if, if I was Michael, um, I, I, w- I can understand his uh, sense of uh, annoyance and frustration. If I was Michael, I'd be bloody furious. I mean, if Stuart is listening, I know Stuart actually is listening, but if Stuart or any other lawyer would like to get in touch and clarify this for us, because that, again, as you know, Kieran, it's why I host this thing. This is not a, a, a world I know anything about, but well, that seems inherently unfair hmm. that the wealthier the wealthier shareholders are offered money and people like, because that's a lot of money. I mean, that's not, yeah. that's not I mean, it, if you were talking about somebody who owns three shares that they have framed in their toilet and they're being offered 5p or whatever, exactly. I, I, I could understand that. But this is £17,850. Yes. That's a, that's a substantial amount of money that he's entitled to get, I would have thought. So I, I would be really interested to hear from uh, any of our legal friends. Obviously, we haven't got the money to pay you, but you will get mentioned <laughs> on the pod, which is as good as cash. It's, 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 it's better than gold. It's, it's it's a sort of cryptocurrency in its own right. It's, it's, <laughs> yes. it's worth eight Maguires. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're calling our new cryptocurrency, the Maguire. Sunderland are potentially on the verge of returning to the championship, uh, which will be... Very good news for Jack McDonald. And Jack McDonald has asked our next question. And he says, in the last year or so, my club, Sunderland, changed ownership again. My question is, we had a loan of nearly £10 million from MSD, I believe, prior to the takeover. But I haven't seen anything to say that the money was paid back on the takeover being completed. Also, if you'll allow a second question, we will. As a club with a large fan base, we have a good revenue base, particularly for the level we're at. What is the disparity in finances between ourselves and some of the other teams in the league? Right. Uh, so, so I'll answer these questions in in turn. Um, I, th- I think it's fair to say that the the ownership structure under the previous uh, uh, pre- previous people in charge at Sunderland was uh, not not the easiest or the most transparent. Um, Sunderland Association Football Club was owned by Sunderland Limited. The the biggest shareholders in in Sunderland, uh, uh, Sunderland Limited, was a company called Madrox Partners, mm. which is Stuart Donald's company and yeah. Charlie Methven's, uh, and so on. And um, it was Madrox Partners who borrowed money from MSD, except it wasn't MSD. It was a, a company set up in the United States called Sunderland FFP. So, yeah, we've got this long trail, this long crumb trail um, to, 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 to dig out. Now, um, from, from looking at the documentation on Companies House, um, and, and, I, and, I, and it's a glorious sunny day on you know, Saturday morning, uh, and, and I am looking at the, the company's house details of of, of Madrox Partners, and, and the Baroness said, 
uh, you're going to miss out on getting a 10 this year, Kieran. And, uh, well, so I'm, I'm, I'm under pressure. Kieran, you, you could compromise and read the company's house stuff outside. I know, there's, there's, three, there's screen burn, man. Don't ever say screen burn, man, again, Kieran, will you? <laughs> Remember our discussion about being middle-aged men? <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes, I'm, 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 I'm not on Miami Vice. <laughs> um, but it turns out that uh, ha- having gone into the, the small print in respect of Madrox Partners, Madrox Partners satisfied the loan due to Sunderland FFP stroke MSD in October 2021. So you won't see this in the Sunderland accounts because the way that the deal was organised, that that Sunderland itself didn't effectively borrow the money. It was MSD borrowed the money from, sorry, Madrox Partners who borrowed the money from from one of Michael Dell's vehicles. Um, And that money was, was then repaid when Madrox Partners sold some of their shares to to Kirill Louis Dreyfus. Hmm. Um, where did Madrox Partners get its money from? Um, well, you know, it, it's it, it was the owners of Sunderland, so it was able to utilise Sunderland for that vehicle. Right. Um, and if we move on to Jack's second question, um, I, I, I've crunched the numbers when, when Sunderland. Uh, were first in League One, which was season 2018-2019. They were in receipt of parachute payments that year. And uh, I- I've never seen this 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 extent before, but Sunderland, um, uh, which was one of 24 clubs in League One, generated 31% of the total income wow. in League One that season. So practically they got a third of the money um, and under – Stuart Donald's ownership, they didn't get back mm. to the championship. Um, if we if we fast forward to, to twenty twenty one, which was remember was a season in which the, the club was was playing football uh, under under the restrictions of COVID and lockdown. Uh, Sunderland's income was uh, eleven million, and that was probably about two two and a half times the average uh, of of clubs in that division. It would have been far higher because Sunderland get you know, amazing attendances, yeah. uh, regardless of the division. So, so for twenty twenty two, I'd expect their their income to be three to four times that of the average in in the division. Well, so we've discussed this before, Kevin. For some of the smaller clubs in that division, Sunderland will be a big loss, won't they? Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we well, we, we were chatting to to Andy Holt um, on on Tuesday night, and you know, he, he's he's absolutely delighted that, that clubs like Sunderland yeah. are in that division because uh, it, it they they sell out um, at Crington Stanley's magnificent Wham Stadium, and, and it we yeah, we we're not we're not saying this because we're fans of Andy. Uh, it, it, it is what what they've done, the money they've spent there, the way that they've uh, developed the club. On, a, on an ongoing basis is magnificent. Yeah. Also, how can you not like a man who quite cheerfully unlocked their trophy cabinet to allow to allow people there to have photographs of themselves with the League Two Championship trophy? Exactly. Yeah, yes. Even the Burnley fans. Um, <laughs> we, ha- we have one more question from Accrington, and we've rather cleverly kept it till after this Sunderland question, because this is a question from Dave Jessup. Dave says, why do so many clubs borrow from MSD, etc., at high rates of interest? Surely there's a more sustainable channel for clubs to borrow money. And it might be worth reminding people, Kieran, who MSD are at this stage. 
Yes. Um, MSD Holdings is what I would call a boutique lender, um, and they are part owned by um, by Michael Dell, the uh, the, the very uh, successful uh, computer guy. Uh, yeah, we all used to have Dell computers back back twenty years ago, uh, um, and uh, they they lend money to. Uh, to, to the sports world, um, especially uh, football clubs. So, so Sunderland, Southampton, Derby, uh, you know, quite a few clubs uh, have been involved here. Um, and, and they charge interest. I think at, some, uh, at Southampton, they're charging 9.14%. At Derby, it's it's LIBOR, and LIBOR stands for the, the London Interbank Official Rate. It's, it's what banks lend to each other, mm. uh, plus 8%. So that, that effectively these days, it would be around about 9 Nine and a bit. Um, so, so you know, people say, "Well, hold on, you know, I, I can get a mortgage for for three percent from from a building society or a bank." Uh, so, so, why why am I paying so much more if I'm a football club? Um, and, and it comes down to to first of all the issues of supply and demand. Uh, you know, we, we've said on quite a few occasions that commercial banks will not lend to football clubs. So, you know, Barclays, HSBC, Lloyd's, uh, you know, and, and co. What they're they're not keen on giving standard loans to football clubs because they see them as being risky. Mm. Uh, if a club gets relegated, um, then then it could lose a substantial element of its of its uh, of its income stream. So how's it going to repay the bank? And also, uh, you know, if if our local garage. Uh, doesn't repay the loan from a bank if the local uh, you know widget manufacturer or, or hotel uh, can't do that then the banks will put that, that, that those those companies into administration um, or you know they'll encourage them to do so and, and that's how that that's how they recover their money from the sale of the assets and and, and that's fine with a football club um, and, and I can say this with with personal experience the, the last thing you want to do if you're a bank manager, is to put the local football club into administration. Yeah, of course. Because you're going to upset an awful lot of your customers. Um, and and, and I, you know, I was once involved in an investigation into a uh, a you know, pretty pretty well known club which had been in the Premier League, which was no longer in the Premier League. And you know, I know I've told this story before, but when the uh, when when it did an investigation, I said to the bank manager, "Yeah, we've got an issue here." Um, uh, you know, un- unless the club uh, really does cut back, um, you know, w- under normal circumstances, I- I'd-, I'd be advising uh, administration because I-, I don't see from from these cash flow projections how you're going to get repaid. Um, and he says, can-, "Can we just can we just have a meeting about this?" Um, and instead of a meeting in his offices, we we had, we had a meeting in a uh, in a pub oh. and. He says, "Yeah, I, I don't want this to be. I don't want this to be minuted as such." Right. Um, but uh, it's, uh, you know, you know, I'm my, my kids go to school in this in this town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, if 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 their dad is seen as public en- enemy number one, yeah, uh, they're going to get bullied. We're going to have to move out of town. Yeah, I support this club. I've got family to support this club. Um, you know, what what can we do? And and we came up with a solution whereby. We, you know, we, we effectively said to the club, "You, you, you either do X, Y, or Z, or 
Yeah, we, we, yeah. You're, you're, yeah, to say that you're in the last chance saloon is you're getting an extra, you're an extra round in, in the last chance saloon. Um, and, and to be fair to the club, it, 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 I think it realised the severity of the situation. But that they were given leeway that would not be given yeah. to other industries um, because of the, this unique place that football holds in in, in modern society. Um, and uh, yeah, if I was a bank manager, I'd just say. Well, just don't lend them the money, and and, and that is, you know, that's now come come on from from on high. You know, don't don't lend to money to to companies in in what are are, are high risk industries, mm. um, and and football is high risk. So therefore, because the supply of lenders is is lower, economics one hundred and one, you restrict supply, you put up the price. You know, what is an interest rate? Uh, an interest rate is is the price of money. It's uh, and. Um, therefore, th- because you have to now go to boutique lenders, they say, well, yeah, Barclays won't lend to you, NatWest won't lend to you, blah, 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 won't lend to you. We will, but we're taking on that risk as well. So therefore, as we are taking on extra risk, we're going to charge you a higher rate of interest. So it, it's, it's, it's simply a function um, of, uh, of, of the perception of risk uh, of the football industry by, by the lending industry. If, if we contrast that with the likes of Spurs and Manchester United, who have borrowed from big uh, investment banks um, at two to three um, percent, let, let's be honest. You know, a, a bad season for for Manchester United, you know, is is finishing sixth or seventh in the Premier League. They ain't going to be relegated. Yeah. Neither are Spurs. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I know we, yeah we, we've had this discussion that that club owners in an ideal world want a Premier League in which relegation can't take place. Well, actually, for those, you know, for, for the big six, they're already there yeah. because of the financial advantages that they have. And therefore, we find that the banks are willing to lend to them at lower rates because the biggest hit to a football club is the step down in revenues when you get relegated. That's not going to happen to United or Spurs. So therefore, they can borrow at 2 or 3%. So to answer Dave's point about a more sustainable channel, we're, we're unlikely then ever to see a, a sort of eco bank or a green bank or a co-op type bank setting up to borrow money to lend money to football clubs. Then there's that. I mean, yeah. One, one thing which has been considered is for uh, you know, the Premier League or the EFL to say, well, collectively we are still earning the same amount of money. Yeah, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter which twenty clubs are in the Premier League. There always will be twenty clubs in the Premier yeah. League. So could the Premier League or the EFL go to a lender and say, "Yeah, we're effectively yeah, a bit like a credit union. We can therefore raise money at cheaper rates, and we can pass on those savings to the members." That 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 conceptually could work. Whether there's an appetite for it. I don't know because remember we do have some clubs where the owners are quite happy themselves to lend to the clubs at zero percent. So they will say, well, yeah, why should we effectively guarantee other clubs borrowing money um, who, who can save themselves? You know, they can borrow now at five or six instead of nine percent when you know I'm I'm prepared to put as much money in as possible. You know, Abramovich, you know, what what what's in it for him? Uh, Mansour at 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 City. You know, why 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 get involved in something which will involve cost savings for other football clubs? Because those other football clubs ultimately are your competitors. Yeah, um, and one more thing, and you mentioned that the the interest rates were slightly different um, for the MSD loans to Southampton and to Derby. Why is that? Do they not have a standard interest rate MSD for lending money? 
Well, it, it depends when you take out the loan. Oh, um, right. you know, and and you know, market perceptions change all the time. Um, they'll be different because Southampton is a Premier League football club. Um, and Derby was a was a championship club, um, and uh, you know, there's there's the amount of money being borrowed as well. Yeah, you know, the more money you borrow, the greater the risk. So therefore, the, potentially the greater the interest rate. Mm. Now, our penultimate question, Kieran, comes from Tim Delaney in Australia. Uh, is that Finley coming back or going yeah, out? That's, that's Finley saying, yeah, he's clearly got an issue with Australians. He is, he's got a lot of issues, that dog, hasn't he, with <laughs> yes, various countries yes. in the world. Um, there's a lot of detail in this question, Kieran, but it's it's worth it. So, and Tim Delaney is, is not particularly happy, I would say. Uh, Tim says, one of my three sons plays football in a so-called elite club league in Australia called the National Premier League, MPL. Despite the national in the title, his team never plays outside our state, Victoria. Clubs in this league select about 20 players in each age group and parents pay the equivalent of £1,500 per season. Jesus. Uh, I know. Poorer children, including some very talented migrant and refugee kids, play community football instead. Now, the MPL clubs have OK facilities and OK coaching, but they never seem to be able to sell, uh, in inverted commas, any of these elite, in inverted commas, players. Instead, the players just get picked up by scouts in the off-season. My questions are, how does this price for football development, £1,500, compare with other countries, Europe and the UK, for example? And how might football development be funded differently so that talented poor kids in developed countries like Australia can make it to professional leagues? Wow, I mean, this is this is uh, really intriguing stuff. It is. Isn't I mean, it? As, as as far as um, Europe and and certainly the UK is concerned, um, to my knowledge, there's there's no such thing from from the club's point of view because clubs want to recruit as many talented players as possible, and, and to put a financial barrier. Um, in, into uh, you know for parents uh, as, especially parents who who might uh, you know might not have the financial resources um is cutting off your nose to spite your face because you you're 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 potentially losing out on talent so so the 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 focus here is is the opposite you know yeah. we're fully aware of inducements which are given uh, by by some clubs yeah. um rather than than making people pay um, and and that's the same in, in Europe um so um, you know, as as far as football development being funded differently, I, I think this is 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 more of an issue uh, in the sense that um, in Australia, football football is is competing for interest with other sports. Yeah, you know, we we know that Aussie rules is very popular. We we know we know that rugby is popular as well, um, and therefore, uh, I, I think what the clubs are these elite clubs are trying to do is is that they're trying to push themselves as development vehicles to parents F- frankly you know tim up I, I, I wouldn't pay it I'd, I'd go and pay for one of these community clubs mm. if, if your son is good enough and he's playing for a community club he will be spotted um because that's where all the scouts go that's where all the agents go that's where all all of the clubs will ultimately be looking um but i, I think this is actually a function of football not being as lucrative in, in australia um, as it is potentially in Europe and, and certainly here in the UK, and therefore the the financial benefits of developing players here is so much more that uh, that clubs think it's worthy worth their time to to effectively offer the facilities for free. And, and again, I, I know somebody that that was involved in sort of 
youth development and yeah, we, we've got we've got some parents uh some parents asking for assistance in getting their kids to training uh financially which with the clubs aren't supposed to do that but you know you can arrange taxis and so yeah, on cool. um and, and if the and if and if that kid's lets good enough, yeah, then then what's yeah, what's the kid what's 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 the problem with two taxis a week? Uh, if if you if if that person's going to be the you know the next you know Mason Mount or or Trent Alexander or Phil Foden, then then it's you know it, it, it's it's a uh, it's it, it, it's a no brainer to to go along with that. Yeah, I, I'd be if if anybody from the MPO is listening to this, um, and we know football authorities all over the world do listen to us. I'd be interested to hear what they have to say because I mean that's that, that that's just just really is pricing youngsters out of football, isn't it? And you, I mean, you you say there are people here who wouldn't be able to afford that. Most people here wouldn't be able yeah. to afford that, and especially from you know we know traditionally young players are coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, so we would lose so many youngsters if if the parents were being forced to pay. So I would be interested to hear if there is another side to that story because I find it slightly disturbing. Um, mm. Now, our final question comes from Luke Zubina. And Luke says, Kieran answered a question on the pod a few months ago about front-of-shirt sponsors for international teams, saying that FIFA don't allow international teams to have front-of-shirt sponsors in order to protect their own marketing interests. If this is the case, and it is, how come FIFA allow international teams to choose their own kit manufacturers? England have Nike, for example. After all, FIFA have a long-standing relationship with Adidas, so it seems odd that they would then allow teams to choose different companies to be a kit manufacturer. Yep, yeah, yeah, fair, fair comment, Luke. Yeah. Um, I think the the issue here is that uh, Adidas are FIFA's global partner, so that means that when it comes to perimeter advertising, when it comes to uh, some of the halftime thing, uh, you know, when when the shows break, uh, Adidas have you know potentially some form of priority um, over what can be seen within the stadium. Uh, itself um fifa d- isn't in a position uh to to dictate to individual football associations how how they sell their rights um for for kit manufacturing so um you know the likes of you know we we, we you know, think about some of the great italian kits made by the likes of lotto and kappa yes. and so on uh, uh and it's, I, don't, I don't know why why do italian football kits always look so damn good you know it's just it's, I'm, it's because they've got italians in them that's that's possibly the, something the, to do with for it. the main part they wouldn't they, if it was if it was marie if it was me marie if it was marie and me parading down croydon high street wearing it uh, people wouldn't be going oh that's a sexy kit <laughs> True. um Although it has to be said, the Baroness seemed very taken with the Ramsbottom goalkeeper. She on was Tuesday night. Yeah, my cousin. She was very taken with him, but he is an exceptionally handsome young man, yes. uh, <laughs> uh, and also very quiet, which people mistake for being deeply, deeply fascinating. He is deeply fascinating. <laughs> but he's just quite quiet, especially around predatory older ladies. <laughs> <laughs> The Baroness isn't listening to this, is she? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I just see Kevin Day claims Baroness to be a cougar. <laughs> headlines. <laughs> headlines in the Rams' bottom gazette. 
I'm not entirely sure how we got here, Kieran, but should we get back to the kits? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but it's it, it simply because the the National Football Association has has the responsibility for, for, for generating their own revenues um, and, and they are independent of FIFA. So, so FIFA has uh, the rights to to have its senior commercial partners but that's it's a commercial partner rather than a kit manufacturing partner deal that they have with Adidas, and because the two are independent of each other, that's why individual countries have uh, separate deals with with their their manufacturers. Mm. Now, before we go, Kieran, it's just occurred to me that some of our listeners may be worried that what with you being in Spain and going to the uh, Europa Cup final, we might not be able to record next week. But uh, don't worry, everybody, we have made plans. We're going to record on Tuesday night and we've worked out a system. Kieran will be on the balcony of a hotel in Seville and I shall be in a garage in Norbury. Uh, uh, it's, not, it's not an issue. It's not a problem. Uh, thanks to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. It's very kind of you. And if you'd like to make a small comf- monthly contribution yourself to our Always 3 to Air pod, go to patreon.com slash price of football. Uh, I nearly said comfortably then, didn't I? So uh, <laughs> uh, uh, if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of football.com. And prior to him going off to Gatwick, before he goes to Seville, I shall leave you in the capable hands of Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, uh, as always, folks, thanks so much. And um, we've been trying to come up with a way of showing a bit of appreciation to to everybody that's (laughs) supported the show via Patreon. And um, this this is probably this is probably if you think, well, well, I wonder if it's going to be a signed book. Is it going to be a football shirt? Um, No. What I'm what I'm going to do um, is that uh, I'm going to offer a prize, um, and the prize is two tickets to see Aha play (laughs) at uh, at the arena. In Wembley, it's been an absolutely fantastic gig, um, and th- there is a backstory to this. Um, uh, the Baroness's daughter is is getting married in two weeks' time, and this gig is taking place the night before. And the Baroness has said, uh, well, I, "I I need time to prepare," which 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 I, I don't understand. So, um, what what I'd like to do as as, as to show a bit of thanks back is uh, two tickets to see uh, Aha, who are an absolutely brilliant band. Um, uh, at uh, in London on Friday the twenty seventh of May, and uh, if you are interested, you know, we'll, we'll put your names into a draw. So anybody that, uh, that is a Patreon of the podcast, if you want to, uh, just send an email uh, with with uh, with with your details to uh, prizes at priceoffootball.com and uh, I'm going to ask a question, a test question, according to Aha. The sun always shines where? Okay. <laughs> so so that, hopefully that won't, won't filter out too many of you. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll do the draw uh, next week and say Friday the 27th of uh, May. Um, and uh, there'll, there'll be a backup prize uh, for, for, some, for somebody else uh, on the grounds that uh, I've, I've got I've still got some books in my bookshelf, which which are unsigned. So, so I'll do another prize as well. Uh, just, just, just out. Yeah, we're at the end of the football season. Uh, we're, we're both feeling pretty good about our teams this season. So, it, it's a way of showing a bit of appreciation back to to you for supporting us. Um, and, and if you don't want to use Patreon, and, and you know, we, we fully appreciate that. Uh, you know, t- times are tough for everybody. If you want to show 
show the show a bit of love, uh, the way that you can do that is going on to your your podcast app um, and, and giving us a review, uh, giving us giving us five stars if you think we deserve it. If you don't, you know, absolutely don't. Um, and uh, if, if you want to to write something as well, it doesn't matter what you write. You you could you could say you would rather have the show presented by Ben Elton and Elton John, <laughs> and, and, and I think that would be I think that'd be quite. Quite, quite a good listen. Uh, a little bit of politics thrown in, perhaps, um, and uh, and and uh, other. Apart from that, uh, take care, look after yourselves, and uh, any Rangers fans who uh, who come up to me and say, uh, "Are you Kieran Maguire?" on Wednesday, <laughs> my reply will be, "My name's Billy McPherson." <laughs> uh, yes, Elton John once called me a four-letter word, beginning with C. Yeah, he did. Uh, I will share those details on a on a later pod. At, um, <laughs> people, we often talk to people who do podcasts, other people who do other podcasts, and occasionally they say to us, "What do your patrons get extra then for their money?" And we sheepishly reply, uh, "Nothing. They just just get their name read out." Uh, but now I can look them in the eye and say, two tickets to Aha at Wembley Arena." Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I'm for the